We've all seen stories of the amazing working dogs that deploy with our soldiers and first responders. But where do these dogs go when they are injured in the line of duty or need to retire? We find out today in our discussion with Jason Johnson, founder of Project Canine Hero. Welcome to the Financial Operating Base, a podcast and community to help you, the veteran entrepreneur, to navigate the terrain and accomplish your mission of business success. And joining us today, we have Jason Johnson, founder of Project K9 Hero. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Thank you for having me. Hey, let's dive right in. Why don't you tell us about your time in the military and what you've been doing since then? Sure. I joined the United States Army in 1993, wanted to be a military police officer, served for five years, and went on after that to uh, continue in law enforcement uh, outside of uh, Tacoma, Washington and Yakima, Washington as a... Uh, canine handler and as a SWAT operator. Um, after that, I uh, had an opportunity to go back overseas, work for the U.S. State Department High Threat Protection Details, a canine handler, which was a, just a great opportunity, and uh, worked in Iraq and Afghanistan there as with the U.S. ambassador to both of those countries, and then uh, went on to ATF, where I was an instructor at the National Canine Training Center outside uh, Front Row, Virginia. Uh, where we had an opportunity to train thousands uh, of dogs, and that's within the federal government, 21 countries internationally with the Anti-Terrorist Assistance Program, and about 1,200 military working dogs before their pre-deployment. We would do the, uh, the spin-up courses in Yuma, Arizona, uh, Creech Air Force Base, and a few other locations. So really had an opportunity to get my hands on a lot of military working dog teams before they went overseas. Uh, during the time period from 2010 to 2015. And I wrapped up my uh, federal career over at Homeland Security TSA, working with the passenger screening program, which are the dogs you guys see in the airports across America. And that, in that position there is where I really kind of realized that when these dogs are retired from service, uh, we don't have really any programs in place within the federal government to help them with their medical care. Uh, in that position I had in the government, the uh, handler could come to me and say that you know, their, their dog was experiencing some medical issues. And at that time, we would take it out of the program, but we also removed it from the financial funding it was receiving for its medical care. So that's when I really got the idea to start Project Canine Hero and make sure that these dogs that are serving our country, whether it be in the military and or the police, are, make, are getting the health care that they need in retirement. And no dog goes without just because someone can't really afford to pay the bill. Talk a little bit, um, you mentioned obviously your experience uh, working and training um, dogs and dog teams. Um, when you were first had the idea for Project Canine Hero, um, what did it take to get it going? Um, a lot of people think of entrepreneurs in the for-profit space, you're an entrepreneur in the nonprofit space. Um, talk, talk through you know, your startup experience. Yeah, I was still active in the government. Um, I was still working full-time. Uh, as a government employee and I was able to you know you still had to seek out permission to it's like starting in any other business you have to you know ask say hey I want to do this we're not going to do it on my own time you know you're going to spend all your own money all your own resources so you know I had a couple meetings with uh, some key people who helped me get us started one was my CPA lawyer who helped me draw up the articles incorporation who helped me develop 
what we needed to legally file with the IRS. Um, from there, I had to write my own mission statement, you know, my own, everything from the website to the logo and everything there, you know, kind of developed on its own. But I just kind of worked that first year when I was still in the government to kind of get these basics down. And once I got the paperwork submitted to the IRS, we got the approval, you know, then I started working on, you know, establishing the website, establishing the logo, establishing the email address, establishing a way to take in money, which is, you know, can be difficult as well. Um, now we're on several platforms, but that first year, I think we were just using PayPal and things like that. So there is a lot of uh, things to learn and there's, there's a lot of things that I learned what to do and what not to do on how to really uh, successfully start up a nonprofit and not, I own some other businesses um, outside of the nonprofit world. So I'm familiar with what it takes to run an S corp or an LLC. And I think one of the biggest things that's helped me out is you need to run your nonprofit like a business. Um, the margins need to be like a business. The, um, the people you hire and what you pay for costs, you need to keep all those costs down and there needs to be an established budget like a business. And so that's one of the biggest things I think has helped us grow from, that first year we took in $50,000 in 2016 to this past year where we've taken $2 million and everything I've done in the four things for, you know, four years in between that to uh, kind of help us grow in the, in the correct way. That's cool. And that's, that's a very fast kind of run up there. Um, and you mentioned coming from the government um, sector into this startup world, there's a lot you had to figure out. What are some of the tools or practices that kind of helped you figure it out? Certainly there's probably folks that you could talk to, ask just to learn all those things because being an entrepreneur is sort of a practice of learning a whole lot about everything um, and you shown able to do that. So how were you able to do that? I think um, by surrounding myself with the right people is, is one of the biggest things. Asking the right questions to the right people. Obviously, um, I'm not an expert on how to write, you know, the correct articles in corporation for a nonprofit. However, I, I sought someone else who could help me with that. Um, getting the right board members on your team. That first year, uh, we just had a small board of three people. And since then, I've let it grow. For example, I have a medical director on my team who helps me make decisions on veterinary care, whether uh, we're going to uh, perform a surgery on an animal or not perform a surgery on an animal. That's my, that's not my expertise, but that's how we're spending the money we're raising. So I want to make sure that we're making the best decisions on the donor's money that we're taking in, uh, if we're spending it the correct way. So really surrounding yourself with the people who can help you make um, the best decisions on not only the growth of the program, but the day-to-day uh, -day operations of the program. Run us through the day-to-day -day operations. Um, you know, what, what your mission is, I know you mentioned taking care of the, the working dogs in their retirement, but what does that really entail? And then give, give the folks listening a sense of the, the national scope of what you're doing. Well, for example, we now have 83 dogs in our program. Some have passed and most are still living and we're growing that uh, every day. Uh, this year for 2020, I vowed to try to take in 40 new canines for the year, right? We've already done 18 so far. So again, I have a budget. I'm trying to space it out. We have over hundred applications. If I simply just accepted all of those and we said we'd take care of them for life, we would quickly run out of money. So that's when I go back to having that business sense of budgeting, finances, getting things in order and having a plan. So as much as I'd love to take 
all the other applications in, people can go to our website right now at projectcanineire.org and maybe they have a dog that needs help. Well, we, we look at that on a case-by-case -case basis on what are the financial needs, what's the special needs, or what's the financial burden on, on them as an owner. And so the dogs we are taking care of, I'll give you an example. My Sunday yesterday, we had a dog in the ER in Tucson, Arizona, Canine Cliff. Um, he had a case of bloat, which is a, you know, a gastric buildup in the stomach. It is a, uh, it can be a life ending uh, complication if you don't get the surgery immediately. It's not something you can wait a day or two or the, or the unfortunate hero would have passed. So uh, $6,600 is what we had to put down on a Sunday afternoon for a surgeon to come in and perform that surgery to save Cliff's life yesterday. And that's not, that's not really a decision that, um, you know, you can say no to. We, we, Cliff is a full-time program member. Um, I know that these things happen. I've had it with my dog before. Unfortunately, this was a little costly because it was a Sunday and they had to call someone in. Of course, we get we have to pay those costs. I've, I've paid much less for that surgery in our program before. But as you know, a founder and CEO, it's not certainly something that not, you know we can't just we're, we're not going to say no to that type of instance. So on the day to day things, things like that happen. Today we have canine Cody in surgery in Leesburg, Virginia. He served with the National Geospatial Agency. He uh, he was like a force protection dog, which is the NGA is like a DOD version of uh, kind of like the CIA. They do intelligence gathering. They have a force protection team there. We have some dogs in our program there. And so he's an explosive detection dog. He, he's got some uh, cancerous tumors and he's in surgery today too, which I believe is going to be, uh, again, uh, just as expensive. I think the one day cost was $4,500. So those are the realities of what some of these costs are that I'm dealing with just in the last 24 to 48 hours. It's also my job to raise that money. We do that through all different types of tiers. Uh, we have donations where, you know, the, the public can just come on and make a donation on our website. We have over 50 corporate sponsors, which we can get into and talk a little bit about, which is the real way we spread awareness through our veteran community and our law enforcement community. We have a great direct mail system where I send out over 100,000 letters a month, almost 1.2 letters a year across America about the stories of the dogs we're helping. And we have all of our different initiatives, like our red initiative, uh, Remember Every Dog Deployed, which is, uh, you know, different apparel and different lines of uh, things that we have out there to help spread awareness of what we're doing. But, uh, you know, the proceeds are coming back to help the dogs in our program. So um, on that, we're always, we're always trying to balance what are we spending and what are we taking in. So today I know you know, in the last 40 hours, we spent almost $10,000. Now I have to go out there through our social media posts on all of our platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and raise that money to make sure that I'm replacing it so I can help the next dog in line. As we understand it, you're also working on some, some big natural uh, initiatives like legislation and why. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for the, ever since I left the government, I really had this idea, which, uh, come to be the Canine Hero Act. And this idea was to establish federal funding for nonprofits like mine to make sure that um, we have some funds available to pay for the dogs in our program. As it stands now, uh, as a military dog retires, um, there's no federal funding for it. Um, there's no programs in place to help a retired uh, federal police canine, state, local, anything like that, 
where they're going to help with the funding. So we came up with the Canine Hero Act. I've, I've made over 12 trips to Congress over the last three years. It was, again, something I really couldn't do when I was in the government, although I had the knowledge and I had the uh, inspiration to do it as a government employee. I couldn't do that, which all kind of leads me to making that leap from quitting my full-time government position to running Project Canine Hero full-time, where I can take the information I know and actually apply that and try to really change the world. So I brought this idea to Congressman Ron Wright's office, actually before Congressman Wright was in office. At the time, Joe Barton was in that uh, uh, district in Texas, and uh, we've been talking with the chief of staff. His name was Ryan Thompson, and Ryan's been great with me. I had a great connection with him over the last three years. We worked hard with that staff to try to establish uh, writing some legislation that would change that. And this past November, HR uh, Bill 5081 was born. Canine Hero Act was introduced by Congressman Ron Wright there in Texas. It's on the floor right now. We have some great co-sponsors with uh, Greg Pence from Indiana, who's the vice president's brother. We got uh, Dan Crenshaw down in Texas, who we know is a veteran and, and friendly to our community. We have some other great ones. And we're really trying to gain more support to see this legislation become a law. And if you go to our page on projectcaninehero.org, you'll see a Canine Heroes tab, or Canine Hero Act tab. And on the Canine Hero Act, you'll, you'll see some videos, some PSAs I've done on it. You'll see uh, more information about the bill. You can click on the actual government link. But most importantly, you can see how one could help us by contacting your local congressman or senator and sending them a message on how to support our bill. And it's very bipartisan. The bill takes $5 million over five years, uh, disperses that out in pieces to nonprofits all across America, just, not just ours, but ones just like ours. There's others out there to help, you know, retired military working dogs and police canines. And it has to be spent on medical care only. So there, the, the money cannot be wasted. What, you know, I would, like the bills I'm paying for uh, Cody, um, who served as a federal law enforcement, uh, we would simply get a reimbursed uh, through that grant money for that bill and I would have to show those receipts. So I really like the way it came out. I think it, I think, you know, the fraud, the fraud, waste and abuse is very low on it because we have to show the receipts of what we're paying for to get the money. And I feel that um, it can really help us grow our program and take care of more heroes. For example, with the over 100 applications we have right now for service, 50% of those are military working dogs or federal law enforcement, which is if the bill was enacted right now, we could just, immediately put those dogs in our program and start paying their medical care. The one thing that's holding me up from putting them in the program is the funding to pay their medical care. So that's how that uh, can really change us. And it's just not for Project Canine Hero. It's for many other organizations like us around the nation. That's a great initiative you have going and we look forward to seeing it get passed. Um, what are the other big initiatives you have going um, in the program right now? Well, we built uh, what you see as Project Canine Hero uh, from March of 2016 to here without an office. I work uh, around the nation from my cell phone doing interviews like this, wherever we may be. I do a lot of uh, public speaking and, and visits, but now we have a staff. Uh, again, we were doing $2 million in donations last year with a staff that works from home across the nation. And to be more organized and to be more efficient, we need uh, an office. And I've learned over the last three years that not every retired police canine has a home to go to when they get out of service. That many of them, uh, you know, a lot of people think, hey, don't they get to stay with their handler? Well, that is true. For the most part, they do. But there's 15 to 20% out there who may not get to stay with their handler. Maybe the handler 
is staying in the program, getting a new dog. Maybe that dog doesn't mesh well with their family. Maybe they're taking a new job to work overseas. There's all kinds of instances of why this dog may not be able to stay with their handler. And we're getting calls to take them in and we don't have a facility to do so. So we've developed uh, Project Canine Hero Rehabilitation Rehoming uh, Facility Plans, which people can go to our website and see uh, again on the tab for that. Uh, we got a nice fly around video and it's under our capital campaign initiative. And we're looking to raise the money through our corporate sponsorships to not only have an office for the next you know, 20, 30, 40 years future of our program, but has 12 uh, rehab rehoming kennels as two long-term stay kennels. But the biggest thing it has, which I've never seen an organization have, is two adoption cabins. And the adoption cabins is really going to allow us to place these heroes with the appropriate home. So I'll give you an example. If you applied to adopt one of our heroes and maybe we took one in from the Ranger Battalion, it didn't have a home to go to and you're like hey i you know i used to serve in the rangers man i'd really like to get one of those dogs i could invite when the time was right we can invite you and your family to come out to our facility in tennessee we, we bought 177 acres we got walking trails we're gonna memorial pond it's gonna be first class and you and your family could stay in the adoption cabin and spend the weekend at the facility with this hero to see if it's a good match for you good match for your children a good match for the dog and that's really the proper way to, to place a hero like that and um, I think by having that facility and the adoption cabins and our corporate office, it's going to allow us to take Project Canine Hero to a whole new level. Very cool. As we're recording this, we're sort of in the thick of the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Um, so how has that impacted, one, your fundraising, and two, any of the operations um, that you're working on? Well, everybody's been affected by it. I mean, let's let's not fool ourselves. I think every business, small business, whether it be nonprofit or, or for-profit has been affected for us. You know, people aren't donating as much money because they're unsure of their own financial stability right now. And so donations isn't something that, you know, they're, they're out doing as much or doing as, as often. I think that uh, one thing that uh, we've really been good at is still finding ways to raise money because what hasn't stopped are these dog bills. We talked about, canine cliff in surgery right now and we talked in canine cody in surgery i can't stop that because of the covid health issues are going to be health issues and we have to come up with new ways to raise money new you know different ways so we have a you know some initiatives that we do on our website and on our social media like a five dollar wednesday just trying to remind people that hey you know donate five dollars on wednesday to help us with this and you know some people do more than that but the one thing that slowed me up is our corporate our ability to work with corporate sponsors I had some large meetings lined up with um, some people for our capital campaign who are going to help us get our building established. And obviously those meetings need to be in person where we, we come there with our dogs, tell a little bit of our story, let them kind of see the heroes we're taking care of. And that's hard to do over a, a video, you know, a video meeting or a Zoom call or the telephone. You just really can't establish that personal connection that you would establish with, uh, you know, what our mission is rather in person so i'm going to be excited for this to lift and meanwhile we're just trying to uh maintain what we do have we're still growing our program i still put several dogs into the program since then we're working with our other corporate sponsors on our apparel and our different things making sure that we're staying on our timelines and as soon as the uh restrictions lift i look forward to getting back out and meeting with these corporate sponsors and trying to work with them on uh, getting our rehabilitation rehoming kennels built and the other thing is the canine hero act obviously as you guys can see not much is happening in washington dc uh, i could be down there lobbying trying to get more congressmen and senators to 
you know, sign on to the Canine Hero Act, but what's that really to them and the importance of the world right now? It's not very important to them. Even though it may be important to me and my organization, unfortunately, it's not important to them. So, I, you know, we're going to have to wait till we get to all, past all of this and maybe in the past towards the upcoming re-election until we can really focus on getting those co-sponsors, both from the Senate and the Congress, both Democratic and Republican, because, again, this is a bipartisan bill that requires bipartisan support. Uh, one of the things we talked about when we sort of did the pre-interview, um, you're, you uh, are really, um, you know, deep in the fabric of the veteran entrepreneur community. I think you get a lot of um, sponsorship and, and co-sponsorship uh, opportunities there, as well as working with big corporations. Um, talk a little bit about networking within the veteran community, um, because I think that'd be valuable um, to the folks that are listening, whether it's for their for-profit business um, or for a nonprofit, about you know, the timing and what it takes and how you went about um, becoming a presence in the community? Well, I think that networking within your own community should be first and foremost as your professional goals. And the one way I look at that is, uh, you guys are probably familiar with the deck of 52 post 9-11 frontline leaders that Marjorie Eastman put out here in the last year of the bicycle cards. I was fortunate to be the nine of spades on that deck of cards. And we have so many other great veteran nonprofits and for-profit, you know, uh, faces on there. And I've been fortunate to partner with a lot of them. And what I always tell those leaders and what we talk amongst about our, ourselves are, you know, even if there's just 52 of us on this, if we all work together and we just keep trying to help grow our businesses together as far as helping each other out, sponsorships, partnerships, collaborations, then we're, we're a much stronger force rather than going out and trying to do it all alone. So if you go to our website, you'll see that, um, you know, you look at our apparel. We've been with Nine Line Apparel for three years. We have several designs that we do with Nine Line. We're with Tyler Merritt and his team over there in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, they've been great for us. On the other hand, I also work with Daniel Alaric and Tim Jensen over at Grunt Style. And we have a Grunt Style line of clothes and their team out in San Antonio. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how can you work with both companies? Aren't they, aren't they kind of rivals? Well, they're not rivals at all. They just, they have different demographics of their customer base and maybe not all of them know who Project Canine Hero is at Nine Line, who may not know who we are at Grenstall, but I need to, I need to intertwine those two communities. So uh, me as a founder, what I'm trying to do is get as many people to learn about Project Canine Hero as possible. And I use those two platforms as one of our, um, our main, our main ways because they have so many great followers in our community. We also work with Authentically American, uh, ran by uh, Dean Wagner up in uh, Nashville. He's been doing some great things. We're, we're working on our red line, uh, which you guys, I know you've seen some of it, and that's Remember Every Dog Deployed, which we trademarked, and we're working with them to try to get that in some big box stores, get that out there, maybe in some of your farm and ranch stuff in the Midwest, or maybe in something as big as Cabela's Bass Pro one day. But that's really going to help us take our branding and our message to another level. Those are things I'm not saying I cannot do upon myself, but I think it would take me a very long time. It would be very difficult for me to go out there and think that I can do that all by myself. Partnering with the right organizations, partnering with the right veteran-led organizations, I think is what key. Because they already established these partnerships with all these different uh, vendors and things. I just need to bring my message to them. And let's work together to get it out there to the millions of people I want to get in front of. 
you talked about uh, corporate sponsors for the new facility and whatnot. Um, what are you looking for in a corporate sponsor in case anybody's listening and that piques their interest? Uh, and if you want to mention some of your good partners um, and, and give them some credit and, and some time too. So corporate sponsors, sponsorship is really the key way when you're looking at building something as big as our rehab rehoming facility. Uh, this facility has six different buildings. It's on 177 acres and there's no way that we would probably be able to do that in any short period of time through, uh, you know, taking in individual donations. So we've been working with bicycle cards. Uh, they're actually doing our own deck of cards, a special edition deck of uh, project canine hero decks going to come up this year. We've already, uh, our actual dogs are going to be on the face cards, uh, Jack King queen, and uh, it's just going to be an amazing deck. All proceeds from that deck of cards is going to go towards our rehab rehoming facility. Our red collection, which I spoke about, remember we dog deployed, which we're working with authentically American, get into some big box stores across America. We've already developed a hang tag for that that says, you know, hey, proceeds from this goes back to help retired military working dogs and retired police canines with their rehoming and medical care as well. So those are some of the examples of the things we're doing on that side of it. Uh, but to get the, it built, we look for corporate sponsors in a metal company, like we're with Best Buy Metals out in Tennessee, who wants to help donate, you know, the roofing for free. We have a local rock quarry who wants to donate there. We're looking for concrete companies who want to, you know, help pour the concrete. Uh, Ingle Key Construction, who's out of Cleveland, Ohio, they, they build all the pet smart or pet supply pluses uh, in America. And they have signed on to be our uh, corporate uh, builder and project manager. So, uh, you know, we couldn't get a better deal with that. Want to come down and, and they're going to put all their resources into us at Ingle Key Construction. Um, we're using uh, Blackburn Architects out of Washington, D.C., who's giving us a discount on designing the six buildings, which is an office, the rehab, homing kennels, the two adoption cabins, a maintenance facility, and a caretaker's cabin. So they've, they've you know, helped us with getting good costs on that. So it's, it's really everything you can think of about, you know, when you're building something that size, trying to get corporate sponsors who want to come in and lend a hand and not, you know, not charge you full price, either a, a very nice uh, donated price or sometimes some of the things even for free. Because without their partnerships or their help or that collaboration, it would be very difficult for us to move at the rate we're moving. And um, we're always looking for more. And I'll give you an example for what we are looking for today. Uh, it's probably going to take a good three years for us to get that building built out there. So right now, we've already put aside money for the utilities, water, septic, electric to get started. I'm in the process of doing that right now. But we need a temporary office. So I'm reaching out to a couple like mobile home distributors across the nation. We might have a double wide, one we can lease, one they want to donate, one we can get at a good cost. But we can get our three to four staff members in there where we have facilities with a laundry and a kitchen because we have some temporary kennels, you know, to wash the dogs bedding and to get them fed and all that and to work out of why we're really building this up. So if anybody out there knows of a, a, a mobile home distributor or a company, we are definitely looking for a donation for a temporary office and they can just reach out to us on our website on our contact us at projectcaninehero.org. This is an exciting project and we're just down the road in Atlanta. So we're excited to, to see you walking forward over the next two to three years. Um, do you have a inspirational quote or saying that kind of helps guide what you do every day that you can share with the audience? 
I sure do. Actually, I have, I have many. I've, I've really been inspired. We didn't get to talk much about K9 Flash, who was the inspiration for this foundation. She was my police K9 partner. Uh, we have a book out called K9 Flash Becomes a Hero. 2018, she was named the Law Enforcement Dog of the Year in America. We were on the Hallmark Channel. We were on Today's Show, and we are on all kinds of things. And Flash really uh, helped me take this to another level with her story. We're working on a second children's book right now called K9 Flash, A Hero's Hero which really goes to show what, you know, she helped me start and how we're going to take care of all these police dogs, uh, you know, as we move forward as her legacy. But the one quote that I always uh, like to say is that these retired police canines and military working dogs have spent their entire career protecting us. So I will spend the rest of mine protecting them. Very cool. Certainly, um, folks listening may want to reach out to you, get your advice, maybe even uh, contribute and participate. What's the best way uh, for a listener to get in touch with you? I think one of the first ways uh, to really see what we're doing and grab our appreciation for our mission is following us on any of our social media. That could be Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We have about 80,000 combined followers now, which is not the biggest number. I'd like to you know, get that going higher, but they're very dedicated. People who follow our mission are dedicated to it. They're involved, they're interactive, and it's been great. So going to our page on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Project Canine Hero, uh, just like it sounds project, like Canine Hero, you'll see us on there. But to reach out to us or contact us, uh, you can do it through a message on there, or you can go to our website at projectcanineherohero.org, and we have a contact us page. Um, on the website, though, you'll look at our interactive map, which uh, we're now in 32 states across America. In some states, we have many. Um, like Washington State, I believe we have nine heroes in Washington State right now. And, uh, you know, Texas, we have four. In Michigan, we have four. And so we're trying to get 50 heroes in, you know, 50 states spread out. And I really want to be as diverse as we possibly can with our mission. Uh, you can go in there and see where a dog might be in your area. Um, I know you got you had served in the Ranger Regiment. We have two dogs that we that we've served in the Ranger Regiment. In in um, Spike, who was owned by Kyle Kowalski, uh, handled by Kyle Kowalski, Second Ranger Battalion, and we recently helped Flitz, uh, handled by Alex Fagan. Uh, so um, I don't know if you know either of those dogs, but they uh, they're definitely heroes who served our country. I know Spike did three tours in Afghanistan. You can go on our website, look under Wisconsin. And, you know, you can find Spike, read his bio, read what he did for our country, read where he worked, and kind of get an appreciation for the type of heroes that we're out here trying to take care of. Um, you know, being a former uh, military veteran and law enforcement officer and someone in the federal government, uh, I feel that these heroes uh, have went above and beyond their entire life to really protect our nation. And we're trying to establish a platform, you know, where people can go appreciate that. It's a great mission, great cause, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to share it with us. Thank you so much for having me on. I look forward to uh, meeting you guys in person. Again, you're right down the road in Atlanta, so we're just uh, building our facility outside of Chattanooga, and we'd love to have you up. Uh, maybe you can do something live, but uh, any anything that we can do to help you guys out, just let me know. And thank you so much for having us on, Project Canine Hero, and supporting what we do. We leave you with a quote from Frederick the Great. The more I see of men, the better I like my dog. Thanks for joining us on the Financial Operating Base podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so send us your questions or feedback to financialoperatingbase at gmail.com.